Hi everyone, I'm Ben. And I'm Will. And uh, welcome to this series of Will and Ben, the Wildlife Men. Hi Ben, how are you? Well, good to see you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Autumn has definitely arrived here on the same peninsula. Um, it's uh it's been raining non-stop this morning but the sunshine's come out this afternoon and uh i have actually seen a marmalade hoverfly outside the house which i know you've been seeing quite a few of recently have you not i have seen quite a few of them absolutely yeah it's certainly very autumnal here the, the rain's actually just started which means yeah it's quite good we're currently quite snowed in here in the mountains the road to the past is closed and so we can't do any any migration research which is a bit of a pain but also it's nearly 100 kilometer winds up there and uh yeah the weather's awful so i don't think anything's happening anyway <laughs> but, yeah it is absolutely beautiful and seeing a lot of these migratory hoverflies um yeah we've been having some really cool uh big movements we had um a lot of swallows recently and i think it counted maybe nearly two thousand every 15 minutes was it last thursday i was telling you it's just like oh. it's just a stream of swallows and because we sit on a mountain pass and it's quite steep sided like the valley is quite steep getting up there they hug the ground because it, there's usually a headwind and then they just come up like right in your face and just <laughs> Go over, so cool to see. That must be such an awesome sight. I mean, and what conditions was that when you had that passage the other day? Was it sort of quite low winds? Were they taking an advantage of a, a sort of small gap in the weather in between the high winds? Or yeah, well, I think on Thursday it was fairly low wind, but it wasn't like incredibly calm or anything. We we've actually seen the. Uh, the swallows, the swallows have been the migrants which have been moving on like the worst days. I think there was a day where I had like 80 kilometers an hour winds and there were still loads of swallows coming over. But I guess they have to, right? I mean, these birds are warm blooded. They can't do what the marmalade hoverflies do and just sit tight under a rock or something because the hoverflies can just go into this sort of torpor and keep, and they don't have to keep warm, but the swallows can't do that. If they stay still for too long, they'll just go hypothermia and die, won't they? So they've got to keep going. There's some amazing footage from the Alps with like a proper snowstorm and all these swallows streaming overhead. Yeah, really hardy little animals. That's awesome. Well, I mean, over here in Wales, I've been looking at something a bit more static. Uh, I was out for a walk with uh, photography friends that you know, Max and Ellie, the, on the weekend, and uh, we were looking at wax caps in um, some of the sort of unimproved grassland um, near an area on the, on the coast on the Thun, uh, which was amazing, actually. You know, you're walking through this pasture land, you think there's nothing there, and then actually, you know, you look at your feet, and suddenly, when you start looking for them, there were, you know, tens and tens of these mushrooms appear in the fruiting bodies, and such amazing colours. We had, like, blackening wax cap, scarlet wax cap, um, we had parrot wax carp, meadow wax carp. We must have had about, you know, sort of 10, 10 or 15 different species in this little patch of unimproved pastures. It was amazing. Um, 
and yeah that's the season we're in now so there's so many different fungi appearing all over the place especially because it's been wet recently so it's been really nice looking at those and the wax caps in particular i was reading an article um i think wales is is one of the best places in the country for wax caps partly because you know sort of 80 percent of the country is sort of sheep <laughs> sheep grazed pasture land which is what wax caps quite enjoy but the 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 really important thing is that wax caps in any large diversity will only grow in unimproved pasture not one that's been trashed with pesticides and fertilizers and everything so if you do find a patch that's really diverse it's worth reporting it to plant life cymru and you know sort of making sure that those areas are known so it was really great to come across that area and there's a patch a field just up the, the hill from us that has a, a really special one called the um the coral i think it's um violet coral i think it's called it's this amazing spindly sort of fungi that comes up from the from the ground you know they're otherworldly things aren't they well wow i know basically nothing about mushrooms <laughs> well that makes a change uh, one thing that you don't know that much about uh, but this week so for, for this week's podcast we are we're delving into a bit of of what you're doing out there right and uh, getting a bit of the historical swing on on migration eh yes the ancient history of the the origins of migration so yes let's let's get into it this fascinating or hopefully fascinating tale of how insect migration began each year trillions upon trillions of tiny animals make the most improbable journeys across the surface of the earth thousands of kilometers are traversed by insect migrants with absolutely no regard for international borders. And studying these insects is revealing that they are truly vital to our planet's ecosystems. We are slowly working out just how far these insects are going. But how did it all start? Why on earth does such a tiny animal need to migrate thousands of kilometres each year just to survive? Now, the fog of time has obscured many of the answers, but... I believe the best place to start, for modern European insect migration at least, is around 15,000 years ago. Ice ruled the land back then, and mammoths clumped up to the glacial walls to drink the meltwater. The vast ice sheets spread down through Poland and most of the way through Germany. Permafrost below the lower edge of the ice sheets continued right down into the middle of France. The world was a tough place to survive especially for an insect. Most of our insects that we currently think of as being ubiquitous across Europe, the marmalade hoverflies or the painted lady butterflies, for example, were confined back then to glacial refugia, areas safe from the clutches of the permafrost and the encroaching ice. These refugia were mostly found around the Mediterranean as well as northern Africa, and the insects living in these areas were likely to be relatively sedentary creatures, hatching, feeding, developing, flying, pollinating, mating, laying eggs, and then dying, roughly in the same place. However, it was around this time, around 15,000 years ago, the glaciers began to retreat, revealing more and more unoccupied land for these insects to live in and breed each summer. Each year, some of the insects in the population must have begun to move northwards during the summer. These insects must have found more food and bred healthier offspring because their genes were passed on more frequently in the population. And this led 
to the development of a behaviour which led to seasonal movement of the insects, north in the springtime and south in the autumn, as the cold grips of winter covered the lands with ice once again. As the ice sheets retreated further and further each year, the insects were able to move further and further north in the spring, taking advantage of the lack of competition for resources in these newly uncovered areas. This migratory behaviour may look like as if it has evolved in the last 15,000 years, extremely recently in the grand scheme of things, but in reality, the ability to migrate has always been inside the genetic code of these insects. It has just not always been advantageous to do so, and therefore the genes for migration have been suppressed. These potential migratory insects lay a huge number of eggs each breeding season, hoping that at least some of them can take advantage of the ephemeral resources available. Because so many insects are born, it is in their interest to take risks, leading to some individuals flying further than others to find food or other resources. In the ice-locked years, the individuals that flew further ended up being trapped on the ice and did not survive to further their lineage. But in the years with less ice, it was the more adventurous souls which survived. Even today, with very little ice and the vast majority of insect migrants making huge journeys, you still see some of the adventurous, risk-taking individuals about. For example, Ben himself saw marmalade hoverflies turning up on his winter retreat of the Azores, and another friend even found a scarlet speckled moth, another migrant, on Ascension Island, right in the middle of the Atlantic. Now, you may think that turning up on an island in the middle of the ocean is surely just the result of this mistake, blown accidentally by winds, for example. But there is a species of dragonfly that regularly migrates right across the Indian Ocean, and so its behaviour must have evolved somehow. However, the tale of this dragonfly and the stories of the other incredible routes insects take is one for another day. Oh, well, that that was so great. It's um, such a cool angle on this incredible phenomenon that we all appreciate, really, of, of migration, especially for you know, insects, which actually a lot of people don't overlook. Um, but yeah, that's just so fascinating. Um, really enjoyed that. And yes. I mean, I'm just trying to digest it, but one thing that really <laughs> one thing that really really came through for me is this element of you know where the migratory behaviors um are inherited in the sort of genetic coding of these species um and the genetics of migration that's a relative is that a relatively sort of new area of research really is that anything that you are specifically looking into within your work yeah it is it's certainly quite new I, and we still don't exactly know like the gene for migration as it were hmm. and a lot of work has been done on those big monarch butterflies in in america <clears throat> and i guess it's similar to birds right do you know anything much well i guess we'll chat about that in a sec but the um yeah in my in my lab at least so i'm not really quite up there or trusted enough to be in a lab i'll probably just get everything covered in pollen or whatever is on my fingers the um but and <laughs> where am i going with this yeah so in my in the lab in our genetics our, our lab is actually called the genetics of migration but it's not really anything that i 
really do yet. I might have to do some this winter, but certainly with hoping to um, use the marmalade hoverflies like a a base almost to look at it, look at it, a template to and find out what could be causing this migratory behaviour. And it's actually properly cool. Last last summer, I spent a lot, quite a lot of time in Oxford. Oh, in, in Whiteham Woods going around collecting hoverflies and um, just a couple of each species and their genomes went off to be sequenced and so we should be, and <clears throat> I was able to catch sort of migratory species like the um, Aristalis tenax which is a, the drone fly and that's a highly migratory species but it's got a sister species called Aristalis pertinax which is doesn't really migrate and so hopefully by looking at those the differences in the genetic code, it'll be able to work out exactly what what is causing these insects to make such ridiculous journeys. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I do think that <clears throat> we're on the verge of a big discovery of mm. what, what is causing these animals to migrate. And, but yeah, it's just a, another world for me. It's so far away from just going out sure. and taking photos of these things. But it is fascinating. And we've collected quite a lot of samples while we're out here. So hopefully we'll be able to ask, answer this question later in the, in, in the year, maybe. But what about beds? Do, you, do we know what causes it in beds? Uh, I was going to say it's not really, I'm not, very knowledgeable on this area of it although i was just thinking then one of the probably the closest examples to what you were saying about the hoverflies that i can think of is you know the black cap situation where you've got various different populations some of which have recently switched their migratory behavior so that you've got german and, and sort of mid-european black cap populations that are coming to the uk to overwinter there and take advantage of you know the seed and and food that's being provided over winter whereas you've still got uk birds and northern europe and black caps that are heading down to southern Europe and Africa and there's there's clearly you know distinct populations that are you know changing their behavior in this way and, and that must be reflected in the genetic makeup of these of these populations and in and inherited and passed on of course but I don't know the specifics of you know what a genome of you know taking it at a broader level of a migratory species compared to a non-migratory species and, and you know obviously it it makes itself known in all these different features of the the phenotype of you know what it actually looks like and you know the sort of uh yeah what a bird needs to be able to migrate as well i guess but i yeah it's uh, it's a bit beyond me as it is yeah same for you as sort of <laughs> out in the field watching these things and studying it but <laughs> i'm not good in a lot it's quite obvious I guess from a natural selection point of view, right? It's, it's showing, same as in the podcast, these more adventurous individuals, if they survive, then their adventurous traits get passed on. And that's, I think, quite a simple way of looking at it. And same yeah. with the black caps, the ones who are just surviving, they've, or some of them are taking a new route and they're surviving and feeding in different areas. And that's working yeah. for them and it's continuing to work for them because they're offspring doing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the relative like costs and benefits of the sort of migratory versus sort of sedentary that having that that spread is also quite advantageous within populations isn't it really especially with this sort of big old changing climate is yeah i guess you can see which species are going to benefit or not benefit but at least be able to survive better because of it um mm -hmm. which is really interesting and probably why migratory species are going to do better probably 
than ones which are more sedentary because they have less room to change like yeah it's a good point that yeah 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 totally because on the flip side of it you've got that element that they're quite probably very well adapted to changes because they you know they they're able to do that but at the same time migratory species are so vulnerable to all the different impacts that occur at every stage along their migratory route so they're very vulnerable from that point of view from a sort of you know from the changes that can occur at any one of those stages is going to impact it but yeah like you say there are also maybe better set up for being able to colonize new areas and respond to these changing conditions so oh yeah it's fascinating but i can't wait for the next one so where <laughs> where the in, where the insects go right yeah yeah it should be a, a really fascinating thing the uh, where the insects go is i mean so much more to learn of course but what we've discovered already is just kind of thrilling but you've got a little journey going back to your home island of Bardsey, aren't you that's right yeah yeah hopefully a week and a half or so i'll, I'll be back over on on my home rock and uh, looking at seals and seal pups and doing some filming work so that's all weather dependent but yeah i've actually never ever managed to see a seal pup something ridiculous i'd love to they're so sweet so sweet <laughs> that's ridiculous i can't believe that will you know you're such an insect fiend aren't you <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, yep, enjoy this. Nice one. And I'll see you, see you soon. See you soon.